Greetings and salutations to everybody all across the wide and wonderful internet. It is yet another glorious edition of Modern Day Gladiators here on the Outlander Media Network. I am always your glorious yet humble host, Michael Shibley, the ace of Tennessee Sports Podcasting with you here, and we've got another huge show College basketball craziness, the Patriots owner involved in a, in a sex scandal. We'll talk about all of that. Pro wrestling, a huge uh, news with Hall of Famers returning. It just big news as the build to WrestleMania begins. All that and more in shibbles and bits. But we've got, of course, talk about real quick, again, the show Modern Day Gladiators here on the Outlander Media Network. And, of course, you can listen to us on outlandermedia.net. You can check out all the great podcasts there, including Deadbeat Radio, J&B's DLC, Haffle, the Phantasm Podcast, and more. It's all right there. You can check out all the episodes. Of course, also, you can check all of us out wherever you get your fine podcasts, including Apple Podcasts, Google Play, Stitcher, TuneIn, and now, of course, Spotify. And wherever you are, wherever you listen, please, five-star reviews, and just interact with us with comments, any of this. Please rate, subscribe, share. That's how we get the word out and make these podcasts totally reek of awesomeness. And we will love you forever if you give us those five-star reviews. And, of course, you can interact with me, Michael Shibley. As always, again, the ace of Tennessee sports podcasting. You can check us out at Modern Day Gladiators on the Facebook page. Just give it a like there. You'll get some updates on sports stuff right there, some quick interactions, live video when I decide to go live and talk about things like that. You can also follow me on Twitter at Michael underscore Shibley or just search Modern Day Gladiators on Instagram and you'll find us there. Give that all a like. I'll be with you. We'll interact. You'll comment. We will be nice and happy. And of course, if you send any emails to outlandermedia at gmail.com and phrase the questions to me, we will answer all of that stuff for you as well. So we got all that out of the way. Appreciate you guys hanging with us as always. And of course, we've got plenty to talk about as we're winding February down, which means March Madness is right there. It's March Madness time, and it is good. It's great stuff. College basketball, it has been fun for conspiracy theorists all week long, which has been great. The first thing happened, of course, midweek, where Duke and UNC got together, and they were the highest uh, average ticket prices ever in this rivalry because so many people, of course, Duke and North Carolina, again, were in the top 10. But, of course, the big draw was Zion Williamson. I mean, you had... You had Ken Griffey Jr. in the crowd. You had Spike Lee, I think, was there. And, of course, you had the 44th president of the United States, Barack Obama, in town to watch that game. And they were all hyped and ready for it. And 34 seconds into it, Zion makes a tough pivot, and his shoe explodes. And he gets a mild knee sprain, and he is out for the game. So all those people spending all that money, over two grand, I think, on average, were the ticket prices. And you get to see the guy most of people wanted to see. Besides the great rivalry between Duke and North Carolina, you see him for half a minute, and he's gone. Uh, and Duke was just not able to rally around. They lost 88-72. to uh, Then, of course, Zion Williamson played, or did not play, in the 75-65 win that Duke had at Syracuse. Jim Beheim did coach in that game. Uh, for those of you who don't know, he was involved in a fatal car crash uh in the middle of last week where a guy had been, uh, there was a previous accident and a guy was out around the car and Beheim hit him and, and killed him. 
So that was an interesting circumstances all around that game. But of course, people are talking about this brings up that debate as always, where should Zion Williamson even be in college basketball? I mean, you look at his body and you look at what he has been able to do and including his in in recruiting. And he's one of these guys who you would think would be able to jump right out of high school and go right to the NBA. And that's what the NBA, they have talked about again, lowering the draft age to 18 from 19, which they did uh, back in the last decade and which has created this whole one and done thing in college. And it's interesting because Again, I think, not again, you look at every LeBron James, Kobe Bryant, Kevin Garnett, those guys have all been very successful going right out of high school into the NBA, but then, of course, you've got guys like Michael Olawa-Candy and some of these other guys who have not done that, and they have not done well. Granted, they still made millions of dollars while they were in the NBA, but they were not the high expectations that everybody thought they were coming out of high school, and I know the NBA was looking to protect that, but again... The, the NBA is, just like Major League Baseball and hockey, you should be able to go right out of high school if you're able to. And again, I've said this for a long time, if you've been a fan of the podcast, again, these guys can go in baseball, they declare for the draft, if they're drafted, they can accept it or they can go to college, but if they go to college, they got to stay for three years. I think you need to do the same thing in college basketball, except it be two years. If you decide to go to college, you have to stay for two years. So you talk about all of this stuff, and of course the uh, the G League, the developmental league for the NBA, is now offering contracts for uh, high school players once for that year where it can be more than what the rest of the guys in the G League are making. You can do things like that as well. Honestly, I'm just down for letting guys be able to apply their trade in where they can. The NFL is a whole other bag of worms with college football being very developmental and, of course, being a whole world in and of itself. But you look at body types, especially in college. Yes, can there be exceptions? And you can talk about all that till the cows come home. Should some guys right out of freshman year be able to go play in the NFL out of college football? Sure, but there's a lot of guys who need that three to four years of building their body and getting ready for the rigors of the NFL. So I see that. It, it, it's an interesting thing, but I do think the NBA needs to put it back to 18 and get rid of this one and done because I think it's killing college basketball in the enjoyment that I like with it personally. So you have all of that. Of course, Zion Williamson, hopefully he will get well. Duke did fine without him because they had R.J. Barrett and Cam Reddish, a couple of other guys who are probably going to be lottery picks in the NBA draft too, so they've got that as well, and they're playing Virginia Tech tonight as of this recording. Uh, Duke should do well in that one, even though Virginia Tech, I think, is 20th in the country. Duke should still go out and win that game, at least that's my prediction here. Meanwhile, some other crazy stuff going on in college basketball, and that was with my beloved Tennessee Vols. They were playing at LSU, and Tennessee loses 82-80 to in overtime to, at the time, the 13th-ranked LSU Tigers. There was a lot of things going on in this game. A lot of people, especially here on Rocky Top, questioning some refereeing uh, calls and different things like that. Uh, Tennessee, again, had they had the lead in the game, and they just could not close it out. Tennessee made, I think, 15 turnovers in the game. I've always been one of these guys who, when you look at it, losers blame the refs, winners 
blame themselves when it comes to what happens throughout the course of a game. Was refereeing a factor in this game? Sure. You can definitely look at that and we can break some of that down here in a moment, but it wasn't the only thing that caused Tennessee to lose that game. So again, Tennessee had their chances. LSU also was without their leading scorer. They were playing without Tremont Waters, who was sick, and then they only had one point from their number two scorer, Naz Reed. So when you look at all of that, Tennessee, yes, it's a hostile environment. It's an early tip. You have all those factors going in. Tennessee still probably should have won this game, but they didn't. You look at what happened to uh, Lamonte Turner there in overtime. It's tied at 80. And he gets the ball, and there's like 10 seconds left as he's going down, and he pulls up and shoots a three with like six seconds left to go in the game. If he waited a few more seconds to get that ball off, that ball would have never popped off, and there never would have been a rebound by LSU, and Grant Williams never would have fouled him. And yes, I do believe that that foul called by referee Anthony Jordan, we'll talk more about him in a second, was a foul. Yes, it was 80 feet away from the basket. You might not like it, but that was the correct foul call. You can argue with me. You can come at me at Michael underscore Shibley on Twitter. Bring it on. I will discuss that with you at length. But that was a foul. And then LSU was able to make the free throws and win the game. But again, the big controversy has become how many times the referees went to review calls. And yet some of the calls that you had where you're looking at hook and holds and different things like that. Like, if you're going to go and review the calls and go to the monitor, you should be able to that many times make all the calls correctly. And that didn't seem to be it. And then you look at Anthony Jordan, who has gotten a big thing because Tennessee fans, again, salty after the loss, come out and they see from five years ago, I believe it was a tweet of Anthony Jordan holding an LSU shirt and saying, go Tigers in the blurb, and that, of course, has screamed favoritism and that he was making all those calls. But let me uh, break that down for you just a little bit. What Anthony Jordan was doing in that photo was he was on vacation in Spain, I believe, and he was showing the shirt because he was in a store in Spain and showing the fact that there was an LSU shirt in Spain where... I don't know how many people in España know what LSU is or where it's even located in Baton Rouge. So he was talking about that and showing that LSU was being very international there, which I thought was which was interesting. I mean, I'm sure as a Tennessee Vol, if I find a Tennessee shirt, I'm going to flash that. Or even some of these other ones when you look at these, like what they're advertising. Because you'd expect in places like that, international teams for... The uh, when you look at international teams for in the in America, if you're traveling internationally, they think of the Yankees, they think of the Lakers, the Celtics, the Dallas Cowboys. They don't think of LSU or Alabama or Kentucky or pretty much anybody in the SEC, most likely. So that was interesting. And then when you look at everything too, and you break everything down with what happened. In Tennessee and everything like that. You look at the uh, and uh, Josh Ward for uh, the sports animal here in Knoxville. He broke all of this down. Um, out of all the whistles that were blown in that game, there was, by all the refs, by the three refs working the game, Anthony Jordan blew 26 of them. There were 29 whistles blown by Lennox, and Poole had 23. So they were all calling a lot of them. 
Not going to lie about that. There was a lot of calls being made in the game. I thought too many. But again, it's a tough place to play. It's a huge atmosphere there. And I think some of the things that have happened, and Rick Barnes has talked about it, and he's been upset with some of the officiating over the last couple of games. And I don't blame him because when you look at Vanderbilt, when Grant Williams was playing there, and he shot 23 free throws, and now he's not shooting nearly as many, you, you start to look at things like that. I think what happened was, especially once SEC play got going, other coaches in the SEC called the uh, the Office of Officiating and said, hey, you need to look at this, you need to look at the calls, and then I think the refs have been all auto-correcting themselves, and I think they've been doing it more toward Tennessee. But you look, and the Sports Source here, another great show, which you should check out here if you live in Knoxville, should check out. They did some other breakdowns of fouls and everything else going on uh, against and for Tennessee. And here's what they found out. Tennessee, over their opponents over the season, are plus 32 in free throws attempted. This is over the whole season. And they are plus 45 in personal fouls called. So Tennessee has the advantage in those. Into SEC play, uh, overall, Tennessee is plus three in personal fouls called. Tennessee is plus 19 at home games over SEC opponents, and then they are minus 16 on the road. But you would almost expect that where the home crowd can influence some officials. I'm not saying all of them, but some of them, I think the home crowd can get on them. So you don't expect that. You see that it's not just the refs are completely against Tennessee. And again, these conspiracy theorists who are thinking, they're all against Tennessee for whatever reason. Wouldn't you think that the SEC would want as many teams as possible in the NCAA tournament? LSU's already in there. And wouldn't you think they would want Tennessee and Kentucky to maybe have number one seeds because then you could get two SEC teams in the Final Four again, which would be awesome. It's the same stupid conspiracy theory where they were talking about there was a conspiracy uh, against Georgia and for Alabama in football. I would think that they would want two SEC schools in the playoffs again and make even more money. I think it's just ridiculous where people talk about that. You talk about the conspiracy with Zion Williamson, too, and that weird things, people just flying around. If you use your head for two seconds and think about this instead of just immediately getting triggered and going on Twitter and complaining and seeing the first information that you see and going crazy about it, think about it. The biggest thing to come out of all of this including Zion Williamson's shoe, because there have been a lot of jokes made. I've made a couple of them, if you follow me on Twitter, is the fact that the kid who made Zion Williamson's shoe in the Philippines there for Nike, I'm sure he got uh, less food or maybe even let go. But the big thing about all that is, yes, that kid might have gotten fired or whatever. That's the joke. That joke kid, though, at least is getting paid. Zion Williamson is not getting paid at all to play college basketball. So therein lies all of that. But back to Tennessee. You have to think, Jordan, Anthony Jordan, I've watched him officiate SEC games forever, and the SEC has backed him. He's he's not a corrupt official, and everybody's calling for that. He's not corrupt. I just think he's a bad ref. I've never liked how, how he referees games or how good or bad he is. I don't think he's good at all. So that's the one thing. When you look at all of this, and that's what I want 
the SEC and the NCAA to do is you have to score these officials somehow. You have to score them and make those scores public so you can see which referees really are screwing up and making bad calls. Because the big thing, too, is you look at Anthony Jordan, there was a big moment early in that game where Tennessee is is in the game, and it's 90 seconds into the game. Nasri, the second-leading scorer for LSU, did an obvious hook and hold, which, again, has been a big point of emphasis for officiating this season, where you hook a guy, you kind of reach your arm around him and hold him and maybe pull him down a little bit, and if it's done egregiously enough, and not on purpose or not intentional, but egregiously enough, that can be called a flagrant two. And a lot of people looking at what happened early in that Tennessee LSU game should have been a flagrant two. Instead, it was a flagrant one, and Nas Reed was able to stay in the game. Granted, he still only had one point, but he still could could have and should have been out of that game. Yes, it was early, but sometimes that's what if you're going to call a foul that a lot of people say you can't call late in a game like the one with Grant Williams. You have to call the same type of stuff. You have to throw a guy out 90 seconds in if he does something that egregious. So, again, we need to do the thing you always say. You can't let a team beat you twice. And that's what's going on right now. Tennessee, you know, they lost to Kentucky, but they did win against Vanderbilt. They didn't lose that game. But, again, now they've lost at LSU. And, by the way, Tennessee's three losses have all been to top 15 teams at the time, and two of them have been overtime, and none of them at home. So keep that in mind when you're worried about this team. I think they're going to be fine. Again, the next four games, the sky is not falling for this Tennessee team. So everybody take a chill pill with that. Now, again, they've got four games left at Ole Miss, which we'll talk a little bit more about Ole Miss here in a second, uh, then against Kentucky, Number four in the country at home in Thompson Bowling Arena, home against Mississippi State, a team on the bubble, and then at Auburn, another team on the bubble. So Tennessee's got a very tough four-game stretch here. If they lose the next two games, I'll worry the sky's starting to fall. But if Tennessee wins out, they're still SEC co-champs again, and they're getting back in with a good seed in the SEC tournament. So again, let's wait just a minute before we start panicking. And Tennessee fans should know this. We've watched, especially in the football aspect of things enough where the sky is not completely falling yet lady vols maybe that game against south carolina on sunday was not good tennessee has got some work to do if they want to even get into the tournament which is really really tough but tennessee's next opponent is going to be old miss and one of the things we've got to talk about the eight old miss players knelt during the national anthem versus georgia on saturday And one of the things you look at, uh, one player took a knee pretty much immediately, and then five other players uh, knelt next to him, and these were all African-American players, and then two of them took a knee uh, in the last uh, phrase, uh, land of the free and the home of the brave. What they were protesting was there was a pro-Confederate rally happening in Oxford, Mississippi, with confederate flags and honoring and talking about heritage and all other things that go along with it and the rally was in oxford and it went through campus during the basketball game and these players found that this was the time that they were going to voice their disconcern now again this is i think different than colin kaepernick colin kaepernick 
initially everything he said out of his mouth just drove me insane when he was talking about certain things. He's been quiet. They've changed it to racial injustice, but there was a lot in that that I didn't agree with with his reasoning for protesting. These guys, I give a lot more credence to. And be quiet with the people who are like, yes, they are protesting and kneeling for the national anthem for the flag of the country that beat the Confederacy. That's not the point at all. These guys were upset that this is happening. And again, these were protesters who were from, most of them were not from Oxford. They were not from Mississippi. They were there from out of state talking about this. And I gave uh, Kermit Davis and I give uh, the the athletic director for backing these students, athletes, and saying things. And Rick Barnes also was very instrumental in his support as well. Rick Barnes, Tennessee head coach, talked about how he really admired and understand those young men because one thing they made clear is they had no intention of disrespecting the American flag. Paraphrasing here, uh, one of the players immediately after the game said, we are not disrespecting troops or anything. This was a cause that we felt was very important that we needed to be made known. It was all about the fact that the hate crime that they felt that they had to demonstrate. I admire them from that. Again, I'm quoting Rick Barnes here. That shouldn't be happening anywhere. I think the way the administration and Kermit Davis handled that is terrific. I think the fact that they were willing to stand up for what they believe we should all believe actually is a good thing. And I agree with that full-heartedly. And again, you can argue the protest until the cows come home about kneeling for the national anthem. I see it as this was the best platform, and you can look at protests throughout history. You can look at any of the civil rights protesting with the boycotts and sit-ins. That was very public. It's, again, the national anthem, which just is a flashpoint for people, and they're not once they see them kneeling for the national anthem, they're not looking in to the rest of the cause of everything else going on. And that's what you guys need to look at more. Again, take five minutes, check more sources, read more about it than just jumping immediately to conclusions about everything going on. I applaud these players for standing up for what they believe in. I will be very interested to see if they're going to do it Wednesday. I don't think so. I think this was a one-time thing because it was on campus while their game was going on. So that's what I believe is looking at. And again, when you talk about Heritage. Again, these were all African-American players who did this. And when you look at the, and you go into the past, and again, you can look into the past and a lot of this stuff. The internet is a wonderful tool where you can check out all wonderful things that you have questions for. Instead of just listening to everybody else, you can go look at it yourself. Like, for example, in the Mississippi, the state of Mississippi, their Declaration of Succession Back in 1860, 1861, it started, our position is thoroughly identified with the institution of slavery. So when you consider that, you can see why these guys were very upset about what happened. I'm not in their skin color. You've seen the pictures. I am not African-American. I cannot identify with what they or their ancestors have gone through when it comes to slavery and being an African-American in this country. So they're standing up for this, and we'll see what happens. It doesn't look like there's going to be any punishment involved. There were some boos in the arena, but I think most people were applauding what they were doing there in Oxford. And again, Mississippi has been in the depths of this. Heck, 
part of the Confederate battle flag is still part of the state of Mississippi state flag now in 2019. So consider that when you think about some of these things. So we'll see what happened. And again, the the Confederate battle flag, and this is not a history podcast, but again, a lot of these Confederate monuments came up in 1922 when Jim Crow laws were going, and then more of them popped up in the 50s and 60s when the civil rights movement were uh, was in full swing. So that was that's something to consider. These were monuments not put up immediately after the Civil War or anything like that. And the Confederate flag did not even come into flying in in prominence until 1948 when Strom Thurmond uh, ran for president under a uh, segregationist presidential campaign. And then the, the Confederate flag got brought back through all of that. So that is something you all need to consider when you look through uh, the history books and paying attention to things. Pay attention to history a little bit. You'll learn something and maybe you'll understand a little bit more about this. But I don't think that's going to happen when the Vols and Ole Miss tip off and when the National Anthem is played. We'll see. But I think this was a one-time thing and I salute those Ole Miss players for standing up for what they believe in. Um more or less not standing up for what they believed in, more lying down, was Patriots owner Robert Kraft. Whoo boy. Robert Kraft has uh, been, it, it has been interesting to, to say the least, the story that has broke. Um, just to kind of break down for anybody who doesn't know, the 77-year-old uh, owner of the New England Patriots, what authorities in uh, Jupiter, Florida are saying is that he visited a Florida massage parlor for sex acts on the morning of the AFC championship game, which he then attended in Kansas City later that day. So all this stuff happened in Florida, hopped on his private jet, really nice to be a billionaire, and then fly to Kansas City to cheer on your Patriots. According to documents released by the Palm Beach State Attorney's Office on Monday, it was the second visit by Kraft to the parlor in less than 24 hours. The documents say that Kraft arrived at the Orchids of Asia Day Spa in a chauffeured uh, Blue Bentley at 11 a.m. on January 20th. He was videotaped receiving oral and manual sex from a woman at the spa there in Jupiter, Florida. Officials say he gave her a $100 bill and then another bill before leaving at 11.15. The AFC Championship game against uh, the host uh, Kansas City Chiefs kicked off at 640. Uh, Kraft, who is the owner of the Patriots, then flew to the game and was in attendance. Uh, The 77-year-old Kraft, again, he was seen soliciting prostitution on video surveillance just 17 hours earlier on January 19th, and he has now been officially charged with two misdemeanor counts of first-degree solicitation. Uh, The court date has been set for 8.30 a.m. on April 24th. Now, again, this is a low-level arrest warrant issued in his name, which is pretty much like a traffic ticket when you look down it. He will not need to appear in court. Uh, Kraft has, of course, hired attorneys. If convicted, Kraft could face up to one year in jail and a $5,000 fine and 100 hours of community service. Uh, and attendance in human trafficking uh, dangerous class. The arrest of Robert Kraft, it has, again, been part of a crackdown of sex trafficking in Florida, where it is very prevalent. Hundreds of arrest warrants, including 23 others in Palm Beach County, have been issued as a result of this six-month investigation and more 
are expected. Ten spas have been closed from Palm Beach to Orlando, and several people have been charged with sex trafficking have been taken into custody. So again, and of course, um, a spokesperson for uh, Robert Kraft has categorically said, uh, categorically denied that Mr. Kraft engaged in any illegal activity. Videotape says a lot. Uh, they have not released the tape, but that's what they're saying the tape is showing. It is, again, another thing where when you look at this country, now I am someone, if you've had any conversations with me, I'm a, a big capitalist, and to me, and again, I've never been one to regulate uh, morality when it comes to laws a lot of the time, where, especially with consent, if you are consenting adults, I think if a woman wants to charge for sexual favors or anything like that, I think that should be some sort of legality where then you can regulate it and tax it and make sure they are all tested. And same thing for men, if women want to pay for that. However you look at that, I think prostitution should have some sort of thing. By the way, this stuff that they're talking about too, not a victimless crime when it comes to sex trafficking because they're saying a lot of these women were not allowed to leave the spa without an escort. So again... I think if you legalize a lot of the world's oldest profession with prostitution, I think that would free up a lot of other resources to talk about stuff. You can really then, too, drop the hammer on people doing it illegally. If you set it up and, you know, give the girls, you file taxes, have W-4 forms, and they then get to file tax returns properly, and then you also have all the regulatory checks, health inspector, and STI testing, and all those things, I think that would free up a lot of issues. And again, I think Charlie Sheen was quoted when they talked about why he uh, uh, used prostitutes sometimes. It's like, I don't pay for the sex. I pay for them to leave, where that he just wants some sex, and he pays woman for it, and then she leaves, and then he doesn't have to worry about it anymore. We can talk about all that. Robert Kraft is a 77-year-old man. He's a widower. His wife has been dead for a few years now. I, I, I would think, just talking as a billionaire, you would think he would have other means and easier means of getting it without having to go to one of these stereotypical Asian massage parlors to get a quote-unquote happy ending. But that's what we have going on here. What I think is going to happen to Robert Kraft, I... I think he might have to pay the fine. We'll see what happens there with the NFL. I think they'll fine him just like they did Jim Ursay for uh, drug addiction, which is what the Colts owner Jim Ursay had, which was a $500,000 fine, which if you compare the $500,000 fine that Robert Kraft would get compared to, if you compare that of his income to the average income of the average median uh, income of someone in America... Uh, Robert Kraft is going to be fined $2.87, pretty much, compared to what the average American would be fined based on his wealth compared to the average American, which I think is kind of funny when this all breaks down. Also, I'm, I'm also a huge fan of legalizing marijuana as well, tax it, because again, all these states and everything, they're needing money, but yet they don't want to raise taxes because you don't win votes by raising taxes, and you find these different ways to do it. That's why I've been a big fan of legalizing sports gambling. We've talked about that on the show. Also, again, prostitution, marijuana, legalize it, regulate it, tax it, and there would be, I think, a lot less problems when you do that. Again, I am not someone who is going to go out and designate and 
make laws against morality. You look at what happened in Prohibition back in the 20s and how just a terrible, stupid idea that was back then with the crime that happened and all the organized crime and everything that went along with that. It was a bad idea. Again, I, I think with Robert Kraft, it's definitely an embarrassment more than anything else for him when you talk about it the way the law and everything is now. I think they'll fine him. I think they'll suspend him for a few games. Maybe him holding the Vince Lombardi trophy was the last time we'll maybe even see him in public with the Patriots. He might turn operations over to his son. We'll see, and of course we'll talk more about that in the weeks and months to come here on Modern Day Gladiators. We've run a little long here in the opening segment, but we've had big things to talk about. We'll take a break, but we'll be back with shibbles and bits and pro wrestling right after this. You're listening to Modern Day Gladiators here on the Outlander Media Network. Yes, ladies and gentlemen, welcome back. You hear the music, you know it's time for Shibbles and Bits here on Modern Day Gladiators. And of course, we're just jumping right into it here. Uh, Big news out of baseball. It's a uh, new contract for a player, a great impact player in baseball, and you would think it would be Bryce Harper since Manny Machado just got his, but no, it was Colorado Rockies third baseman. Nolan Arenado, he agreed to an eight-year, $260 million extension with the Rockies, $32.5 million a year, making him the top yearly recipient, uh, right now the top contract in Major League Baseball. And again, it he didn't want to have, it looks like, obviously the same issue that Manny Machado and Bryce Harper are having. Uh, you know, he's, he had one year left on his contract, but just deciding to stay with the Rockies. The Rockies have been a very good baseball team the last couple of years. Two straight wild card appearances. They've got a young pitching rotation. They've got a very good top farm system. And also teaming Arenado with uh, outfielder Charlie Blackman, who's had a new contract starting last year. The Rockies are in a position to make a run right now, which is great. And we'll see what happens, because again, Bryce Harper still remains unsigned as of us recording this episode. So we'll see what happens. Of course, a lot can change. Heck, a lot can change even when I'm recording episodes, like the fact that Virginia Tech beat Duke. I said earlier that Duke was going to take care of Virginia Tech. I was wrong. I am happy to admit when I'm wrong, even in the middle of recording a podcast. So there you have it. But again, congratulations to Arenado for getting paid. And I think the Rockies could be a big factor in the NL West this season. Moving to soccer real quick. Chelsea, uh, in, in the world of the British Premier League. Their goalkeeper, Kepa Ariza Balaga, I believe is, is how you pronounce that. Uh, he has been fined a week's pay for refusal to be substituted in the Carabao Cup final loss to Manchester City. Again, congratulations to Man City for winning uh, the cup. It was nil-nil, and after all the extra time, they went to penalties, and Man City won 4-3. to three. Uh, the, the the big thing, of course, from this was the fact that Keppa refused to be substituted. Uh, the coach, uh, Maurizio uh, Sari, 
He tried to sub him out after it looked like uh, Keppa was having cramps uh, in the middle of extra time, and he just refused to come out of the game. They pulled his number up on the sub board, and he said, no, I'm not coming out, and uh, sorry, just like left, angrily left the bench, which was just weird to see and all that. So again, Keppa, he's accepting the punishment, calling it a big mistake. Fine, will be donated to the club's foundation. But, I mean, again, this is just not good PR look when you look at it. The optics just aren't good for things like this. When you, when a coach tells you to do something, yes, you can complain about it, but just not coming out, that's just not a good look at all. And I think, again, both guys hopefully will learn from this and we'll see how Chelsea goes through the rest of the British Premier League season. But, again, optics not great on that. Iowa basketball head coach back into college basketball here, uh, Fran McCaffrey. He apparently, according to the Toledo Blade, I used to read that paper back when I was a kid living in the Toledo area, he uh, treated an official uh, to a profanity-laced tirade following Iowa's 90-70 loss at Ohio State. He uh, and son guard Connor McCaffrey both received technical fouls during the game. Um... First, Connor was protesting a call. He'd been called for an offensive foul, and then there was another foul called on him, and he protested to the ref, which called him for a tee. And then uh, McCaffrey went out, and after he he looked like he had stepped out onto the court to talk to the ref, which, again, he got teed up for. And again, quoting uh, the Toledo Blade, again, censoring myself a little bit here um the referee steve Jenkins. this is what uh, apparently fran mccaffrey called him you cheating mfer uh you're an effing disgrace and of course when asked about that uh, after the game he's like you know i can't talk about that mccaffrey has always been kind of a bully to reporters there in iowa uh he's always kind of been just kind of just just a, a bully really is the best word for it right there so this isn't the first time that's happened it's interesting because back in 2006 this has not been the first family ejection and technical fouls happening in the McCaffrey family 2006 Fran was ejected as a coach uh, when he's coaching at Siena and then later on uh, his wife was also ejected from the game from the stands for yelling at officials uh, in that one so again just sometimes we've talked about refs enough on this episode but Again, you just can't go out and just berate the officials like that, whether they have problems or not. And again, trust me, we've talked about it already on this episode. If you publicly rate the officials and grade them, that's fine. But you can't just go out and berate somebody like that, especially in view of reporters who reported this story. Switching over to college softball and baseball, uh, a hats off here from Modern Day Gladiators to uh, sophomore uh, Arkansas Razorback softball player, uh, Danielle Gibson had to had to remember the name there real quick. She has made her mark on the game of baseball and softball forever. As during the Arkansas's uh, 15 to three win in the five inning run rule against uh, Southern Illinois University at Edwardsville, she hit the home run cycle. You know about hitting a cycle in baseball and softball normally where you get a single, a double, a triple, and a home run all in the course of one game? Well, she had a home run cycle, solo home run, two-run shot, three-run home run, and the grand salami, the grand slam, all in one game in four innings. So four at-bats, four home runs, which is just amazing. Something no Division I softball player has ever done, and no Major League Baseball player has ever done that as well. So congratulations there. 
uh, to Danielle Gibson. Of course, she was named SEC Co-Player of the Week. She should be SEC Player of the Year for just that feat, which was just amazing. And again, you need a lot of weird things to happen. You've got to have the right runners on base, all that kind of thing to happen to do this. But still, an interesting feat, and congratulations to her. Meanwhile, the Lady Vols softball team is off to a good start, 13-2 to start the season. They're ranked 7-8 and in the polls. Uh, the only losses happened during the same weekend, last weekend, uh, or the previous weekend, rather, uh, to James Madison University, ranked 23rd in one poll, and Florida State, ranked number one in one poll. So the Lady Vols still looking great. They were 5-0 in the Tennessee Classic over the weekend, dodging all the raindrops that we had. They beat Kansas uh, University of Virginia twice, Bradley and Louisville over the course of the weekend and that extended into Monday as they had to cancel games on Saturday. Meanwhile, the Tennessee baseball team off to a great start as well. They are 8-0 and on the young season. The pitching has been absolutely phenomenal. Tennessee's team ERA is .5 through 8 games and even though they haven't played outstanding competition, they've still played some solid uh, teams including sweeping Appalachian State and Indiana. So those have been really good teams. And uh, Tennessee pitcher Zach Lingfelter, he was the SEC Pitcher of the Week for his performance in a win over Indiana. Six innings pitched, two hits, two walks, zero earned runs, 13 strikeouts to go with the team's tied record of 21 strikeouts in that win over Indiana over the weekend. So congratulations to them. Uh, Tennessee is on a roll. They're going to continue this weekend with the Cox Diamond Invitational that's happening down in Pensacola, Florida, where they're going to be facing Louisiana Monroe, North Florida, and Western Kentucky. So good luck there to the Vols. And that will wrap up Shibbles and Bits here. Thank you guys, as always, for listening to some of those weird stories. And again, hit me up on Twitter and the Modern Day Gladiators Facebook page. If you have any weird sports stories that you see, send them to me. I'd be happy to talk about them and break them down. I love finding them on my own, but if you guys help me out, that'd be awesome. And of course, I will give you a shout out here on the podcast if you do give me a hand. But moving to wrestling very quickly as we wrap up this show, big things happening this week. This has been probably one of WWE's better weeks when it comes to being creative and things happening that make me want to keep tuning in and seeing what's going on. The big news, of course, Roman Reigns, the big dog, returning to the WWE. He was making a big announcement about his cancer prognosis. The good thing is because, again, he had to give up the uh, Universal Championship back in October because the leukemia that he had had early on in his career had returned and or in his life rather but he's been going undergoing treatment for it now and the good news is that cancer is in remission which is just wonderful to see uh seth rollins was out to congratulate him and it was great though too to have this happen in atlanta where roman reigns uh played for georgia tech so again being there in atlanta where he's definitely someone who's going to be cheered there is a good thing to have too because again I'm not going to boo a guy unless he obviously turns heel. I'm not booing a guy that survived cancer, especially now twice, if that is the case. So hats off to Roman Reigns for that. And, of course, he teamed up. uh, Well, not teamed up in a tag match. Uh, Dean Ambrose was getting uh, beat up in the ring by a bunch of the heels after losing to Drew McIntyre in a no-DQ match. And uh, his former S.H.I.E.L.D. buddies came out to save him, and then they kind of look back, so it's teasing some sort of maybe S.H.I.E.L.D. reunion one last time before Ambrose leaves, 
We'll see what happens there. Also, Ronda Rousey was attacked by Becky Lynch with her crutch, and Becky Lynch, of course, as Vince McMahon threatened, if she showed up again and did attacks while being suspended, she would be arrested. Sure enough, she was arrested. Had a great line where she said, be careful with my shoulder. I need that to hold the WWE Women's Championship. And, of course, Rousey is sick of it. She wants... Uh, Becky Lynch back in that match with Charlotte Flair and herself at WrestleMania. But uh, Stephanie McMahon said that's not happening right now. And so Rousey laid down and looks like gave up the Raw Women's Championship. We'll see what happens with all of that. But at least it's interesting. Makes me want to keep tuning in, which is what you want to do. But the big thing happening as well was at the end, it was Ric Flair's 70th birthday over the weekend. So, of course, they were going to celebrate that on Monday Night Raw. They brought the whole roster out. And then returning Shawn Michaels was there, Ricky the Dragon Steamboat, Kurt Angle, Sting. They were all there and ready. And then video cuts to the back. A man in a leather jacket was hauling a cameraman to Ric Flair's locker room. And then you see it's Drax the Destroyer. It's Batista. He's back in the WWE and beats up 70-year-old Ric Flair, laying him out. And then he says to the camera, Do I have your attention now, Hunter? Calling out Hunter Hearst Helmsley, Triple H, for most likely, obviously, a match at WrestleMania between the two, which will be awesome. It's great cross-promotion, even though you really don't need cross-promotion with the final Avengers movie uh, coming out uh, pretty much very quickly after WrestleMania, but still really awesome to see Batista back in uh, the world of the WWE like this. That should be really, really fun. Also on SmackDown real quick, Vince McMahon comes out and decides that Kofi isn't fully worthy enough uh, for a title shot against Daniel Bryan uh, at Fastlane, even though they were in the middle of the contract signing. So uh, Vince McMahon decides to name Kevin Owens, the returning Kevin Owens, as the new number one contender. And of course, there was a tag match with him and Kofi Kingston on one side, Daniel Bryan and Rowan on the other and uh, Kevin Owens, acting as a face, we'll see how long this goes, but he pinned Daniel Bryan with a Stone Cold Stunner, uh, in that tag match, so that's really interesting to see. Very excited to see where that goes. It looks like maybe they're pushing Kofi Kingston to getting the title match with Daniel Bryan at WrestleMania, or maybe a three-way with Kevin Owens. We'll see how all that shakes out, but I do like that they're maybe just kind of drawing out this Kofi Kingston thing a little bit, because good things with Kofi Kingston, nothing but uh, great things to say about him. So looking forward to seeing where all that goes. But again, Raw and SmackDown, they let me with some cliffhangers that I actually want to see and tune in next week to see what's going to happen. And oh, the Hardy Boys reunited. Matt Hardy, we thought he was retired. He's come out of retirement or whatever. I guess they rolled their contract over for another year. And the Hardy Boys teamed up and beat the bar, Cesaro and Sheamus. So that's two straight losses in a row for the bar. Uh, which is not great for them, but hey, we'll see what happens with that. Some other weird news uh, in the world of wrestling. We've talked about the XFL here on the podcast. Vince McMahon, uh, of course, is the head of that, trying to bring the league back after its one season back in 2001, made that press conference last spring. But according to the Observer Radio, which is Dave Meltzer's podcast, uh, some weird things happened. Vince Apparently, Vince McMahon, over the past week or so, made uh, Colin Kaepernick a complete lowball offer uh, with money, not realizing or having no knowledge of Colin Kaepernick's uh, lawsuit win that we talked about here on the podcast last week. 
And then that brought out old news apparently from uh, last year, and this has finally come out, that the uh, American Association of Football, uh, the the guys there and the, the leaders in charge of that federation, including Charlie Ebersol, uh, wanted to buy the XFL name and rights for $50 million, apparently, and air games on the XFL, or not the XFL network, I'm sorry, air XFL games on the WWE network. But again, pretty much out of spite, Vince is like, no, this is my baby. I'm, I've am i got it. And so Vince has apparently relaunched the league out of spite, had the press conference, obviously, just right before the, uh, the Alliance of American Football did. And pretty much Vince came out with that, but really didn't have a clue what was going on or what he was wanting. So again, that's a typical old Vince is going to Vince uh, scenario. And finally, we've got a new uh, inductee that's going to happen along with D-Generation X. We talked about them last week. We're talking about this guy coming to the WWE Hall of Fame class of 2019. <laughs> oh, yes. Hit that music, ladies and gentlemen. <laughs> oh yeah, yes ladies and gentlemen, the Honky Tonk Man, your newest inductee into the WWE Hall of Fame. He's cool, he's cocky, he's bad. I hope the uh, music played right through my iPhone there, through all of that. But again, the Honky Tonk Man, as he calls himself, the greatest intercontinental champion of all time, as he beat, first of all, he beat Ricky the Dragon Steamboat for the title under uh, nefarious means, uh, holding onto the ropes and whatnot, but then he held on to that title for 454 days, the longest record of holding the Intercontinental Championship, Uh, and then up came SummerSlam 1988, his most famous moment as uh, in the WWE, where he didn't have an opponent for SummerSlam because Brutus the Barber Beefcake was injured, and he gets on the mic and says, anybody come out here in the back, I don't care who it is, I'll face anybody. Bad idea, because then the Ultimate Warriors music started playing. And the Ultimate Warrior then proceeded to whip the honky-tonk man's ass and pin him in about 45 seconds to become the new Intercontinental Champion. But again, honky-tonk man, definitely a wonderful gimmick, and congratulations to him, and uh, that's your newest class, along with Degeneration X of the 2019 WWE Hall of fame. And that's going to wrap up today's and this week rather's episode of the Modern Day Gladiators podcast. Thank you guys as always for tuning in and of course, please like, subscribe, share, give us those feedbacks. You can listen to all the great shows again on outlandermedia.net and again, follow me on Twitter, Michael underscore Shibley. Wherever you get your podcast, give us those five-star reviews. I would love you forever and until next week, guys, stay hard, stay hungry, too sweet, love you, see you next time.